Dear brothers and sisters, we are gathered here tonight to pray for the souls of the departed, particularly for the ones who are undergoing purification in purgatory. We are here also through the liturgy of the Mass, through the words we heard, through the words of the Gospel, of the, to be reminded of the victory of Christ over death. Death, where is your sting? Or to you, Lord, I lift up my soul. We were soared, maybe for many of you, after uh, maybe a year of um, uh, tears and uh, pain for the exile of uh, missing your beloved. We've been raised to new perspective the eternity. In this way, our hope for the resurrection of our beloved departed and for ourselves through uh, the divine uh, worship can find new strength. What is the reality of this purgatory? And what is important for us to take it seriously if we are called to pray for the ones who are still there? To understand this, we need, first of all, to be aware of the fact that God did not create us mortal. It is true that mortality now characterizes our flesh, but it is the flesh of humans who rejected God. It was not so from the beginning. And second, to understand that this reality of purgatory, we need to consider that uh, the Church teaches us that sin, a deliberate sin, has a double consequence. Mortal sin, so as an evil action performed with deliberate consent, with full knowledge of the evil done, and grievous in its content, that sinful action deprives me, human being, of full communion with God. And the only way to avoid this detachment from the communion with God is to sincerely repent. I have to repent, but also consider that it is enough to repent in the mercy of God. But if I stubbornly refuse to repent, when death, which is again the consequences of uh, the fact that we went away from God, that rejection of God that I caused through my unrepented action will be irreversible, and I will undergo eternal punishment, which is, in the tradition of the Church, we call hell. Hell is not an angry revenge of God. God doesn't lose his patience. He's in control of his own person, of his own rationality, of his own love. But so hell is the consequence of my free decision to reject God. My free decision to choose Satan rather than God. That's why hell was inaugurated when Satan, an angelic creature who doesn't reverse his mind, he hated God and he will not reverse his decision. That's the place that in his mercy God grants for this angelic creature to exist. 
a second consequence of any evil action I may perform is the unhealthy inclination to evil that remains in my mind and in my heart after I've done evil. And this happens not only in mortal sins, so deliberate, conscious, grievous action, but also when I do venial sins, so not fully deliberate or I'm not fully aware of the evil that I do or is not so grievous. And we experience a lot of this spectrum. It's not that we always we are totally evil or we are totally good. We, we, we experience this uh, uh, mixture. So in all of these actions, when there is even a slight hue of evil in my action, it leaves an attachment, a disordered attachment to evil, to do it again. And so this attachment can be repaired, can be fixed by doing good. As evil can be repetitive, the repetition of good heals these consequences. This consequence is called temporary punishment because it's not destined to be eternal, but it has to be healed. It stays there. It doesn't go away magically. So this is the reason why when we go into confession and we are absolved, even from venial sins, the priest gives to us an act of penance, which is either a prayer or a good action that gives to the penitent the responsibility. The penitent, be mindful, has been absorbed, has been forgiven, doesn't have to do anything to gain forgiveness in front of God, but is given a good action or a prayer to repair precisely from that attachment to evil, to heal himself or herself and the others who've been wounded. If I die and this attachment is still in my heart, before entering to heaven, if I'm deemed to do that, if I loved God, if I did not resist stubbornly against him, before entering to heaven, I'm called to be purified from that attachment. So this is purgatory. This purifying love of God which is totally incompatible, free from even a little slightly stain of evil, and when he finds evil, he burns it. And like a surgery, for me, who I still have that attachment, is painful, but is healing. We experience the rationality of this uh, intelligent plan of God, even here on earth, because when I um, suffer, even because I've done evil and I pay the consequences on my own, or just because I suffer, I haven't done anything, and I go through pain, medical issues, or maybe I suffer for the evil of others. Remember, we experience that our heart reattaches to what matters. Not always, not automatically. But we experience that through suffering, we re-understand what matters. We re reset our compass toward God. And that is what, in purgatory, is done before entering to heaven. My dear brothers and sisters, think, consider this. If I enter into heaven and I have a grudge against a brother of mine that maybe I haven't seen in 50 years, 
I enter into heaven and I'm going to find him there. I have to be free in heaven. It's not that I'm going to be forced to love. And so how can I enter heaven if I still have in my heart a desire for revenge? That cannot be. And so purgatory, if it looks like a punishment, it is a grace given by God that finally when we enter heaven, we're not going to have to struggle against our own evil in our own hearts anymore. We'll be free from it with a freedom where we never experienced here, free from any evil, free to love God and to love the saints as God does. So, blessed be God for this. During uh, this uh, purification in purgatory, the soul relies on the prayers of the saints who are already in heaven and on the prayers of us who are here pilgrims on earth who are still walking. This is due to the fact that there is a chain of solidarity uh, in any action that I do. When I do evil, someone will be directly hit by my evil, but also indirectly. We do not know how that soul in South Korea suffers today because I did not act according to God here in the United States in Broomfield. There is a mysterious connection between all our actions. There is a connection in good, there is a connection in evil. And so this is why God does not need our prayers to complete that purification for those souls. But he wants our prayers because this is part of the responsibility to communion that he has given us. Knock and the door will be open to you. So who better than the ones who have loved the deceased, who, were, who are related to them by blood relationship, who have benefited from the good that the deceased has performed in life through friendship, love, good actions. Who better than them can raise a genuine, authentic, sincere prayer to God? For you who experience a loss in your life, who better than you can and has the responsibility to raise prayers for that beloved if he's not in heaven yet? So, there is a true responsibility, there is a true act of mercy, act of charity, to take care, to raise the prayers for the souls who may still be in purgatory. Is it still in purgatory or in heaven? Is in heaven? We do not know. We cannot fathom the, mystery, the, the, the mysterious knowledge of God. We can have signs. If we raise prayers enough, we gain plenary indulgences, we can have peace of mind that the soul is already in heaven and is now a saint accompanying us in this pilgrimage. So he or she now prays for us. However, there is one thing that the church also adds on that. Even if our prayer is genuine, authentic, and there is already often a step to make that happen. How many times we say, I prayed, and we didn't. But... We know that my prayer, our prayers, is compromised, 
still by the fact that we are not still fully pure in God as a saint is. My saint prayers is blurred by destruction, by selfishness, by attachment to evil that I still have. Therefore, in our prayers for the beloved, the church invites us to rely when we raise our prayers on the merits and on the prayers of the saints who are closer to God and their prayers is refined, is more pure. So when the church grants to us, like today, the opportunity of gaining a plenary indulgence, indulgence, he offers us this. What is a plenary indulgence? It means that the church allows that the treasure of the merits of all the saints in heaven can be disclosed in front of God so that these uh, temporary punishments of the soul in purgatory can be fulfilled. Plenary indulgence means that when this is fulfilled, the soul goes to heaven. Again, we don't have temporary categories, space categories. It's all in an eternity, an eternal dimension. So we do not know, there is no time when it happens. But we know that this is real. And if the church invites us to do so, we need to take this seriously as a responsibility. So again, why does God need this, needs the merits of the saints? He does not need those. But using and wanting this, he changes our hearts. Because when we take the time to attain a plenary indulgence for our beloved, we grow in love, again, for that beloved. We grow in hope for the resurrection. We are changed after that prayer. And that soul receives our love. God takes our love seriously. Our love for God is not redundant. Therefore, the Church grants plenary indulgence by these days, by visiting a cemetery, and praying for the dead in these eight days from yesterday, the 1st of November, until the 8th. Or today, visiting a church is a way to satisfy their request, praying the Our Father and the Creed, and being in a state of grace. So, if there is need to go to confession, make that happen, and receiving Holy Communion. How do we know, in conclusion, that all this is not just human-based thinking, and it is a reality. As we heard in the Gospel, I chose particularly this Gospel, which Christ raises this young man. Christ vindicated his divinity and the truth of his message by performing miracles. As it is true that he said to this young man to rise, and that man who was dead rose, so Christ has risen from the dead permanently. And he has vindicated with this fact the message he brought. We are not all fools. We are believers of a thing that happened. If we believe in him and we do his will, he promised to us that he will, we will rise with him. And Christ is no liar because he vindicated with his resurrection his words. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, amidst the suffering 
of the exile for the temporary absence of our beloved departed, let's be strengthened in the hope of the resurrection by this liturgy, and let's pray unceasingly for our beloved departed and for all those souls who have been alone and are deprived of the consolation of prayers by anyone. 